Hello, everyone. Welcome to Conga Tales. Hello, hello. We've missed you. excited today because this is a conversation that's been tearing up social media and today we have an expert with us it's not just yes you're an expert it's not just Iman and I if you're getting tired of our voices there's someone else who is of the male gender I know I know a lot of you guys think we like don't like guys and we hate men they they think Iman doesn't like guys Uh, and that like they die or expire the moment they're like within a radius of us but we actually have a lot of male friends and we actually quite like this particular male maybe Mm -hmm. not you but this particular male we definitely approve of yes Mm. so yeah without further ado simon take it away i know you're already famous in certain circles so but like tell our audience about yourself all right listeners (laughs) i don't even know where to begin from but um yeah i'm just a friend of iman and um i'm i'm really happy to be here at the podcast and talk to you guys about the topic that we're going to be talking about today yeah yeah i am a tech technology enthusiast i like biking I'm what you'd call, I think, a normal Tanzanian young man. No, no. you are not. <laughs> Don't lie. Do no. not lie in these streets, please. What do you do I have professionally? Made, I have made some choices to believe, to, to learn some things. and Well, I work in tech and social innovation, mm-hmm. helping young people to use technology for development, but also for their self-betterment. But also, I am part of a hub called the Global Shapers Hub. Two of the things that we do basically that I'm involved in is one in education technology, helping teachers and students understand how to use technology in the classroom. But then the other one is helping young people to understand how to be empathetic and how to be accepting of other people's feelings, other people's insecurities, other people's uncomfortability. And hence, I think, that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yes, and just to clarify, this like uh, social hub that innovation hub that he's part of, um, the Global Shapers, he doesn't get paid to be in this hub. This guy wakes up like early in the mornings on Saturdays. I know because I work with someone else who's in the hub to have meetings, planning meetings. He volunteers. He's all spare time in his already very busy schedule mm-hmm. to do good for his community. So uh, I can't even say that I do that. So you are definitely not an average Tanzanian male or an average Tanzanian person in well, general. Thank uh, you. And we need more people like you. Ain't gonna be me because I need my sleep <laughs> on Saturday morning. But like more power to you. Yes. But on that note, I think what makes him even more interesting as a non-average Tanzanian male or above-average Tanzanian male is some of this social work that he does do that gets him up on a weekend Mm -hmm. is 
to educate people about sexual harassment. Let's repeat that. This guy educates people about sexual harassment, which is something that we, com- we really, really need. So you go into offices and you give workshops about this. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit more? So yeah, yeah part, part of the hubs activities that, and what we do, um, me and my friend, give a shout out, right? Yeah, to Lanana. To yay! To Lanana Bohela. Um, we decided, okay, it's, it's part of the discussion that we need to have with young people, fellow young people, because, like you say, it's sexual harassment. It's a topic that is really hard to discuss with fellow young people, you mm-hmm. know. Um, as a young person, you would sit with your fellow guys. I would speak on, on the guy's behalf and talk about a girl who's passing by and you think that's okay, you know. Yeah. But you're not thinking about what the person feels if they overheard you, even if they didn't overhear you. Mm. Uh, you're not aware of what you're pushing out there what mm. cult, what influence you're having on the culture. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we're doing is just going to offices, going to organizations, talking to young people that we meet every now and then mm-hmm. about sexual harassment, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, that's... Yeah, and I really like the fact that you guys are doing this in organizations because I can at least speak from personal experience. Um, yes, growing up in this culture in general, yeah, walking the streets, you experience sexual harassment, um in like fam- familial situations, but it really became prevalent and I experienced the most in the workspace. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think we were having this conversation earlier over drinks, because that's what we like to do, um, as to how when certain things get normalized, and so, for instance, when complimenting women on their looks and graphically complimenting women on their looks is normalized and seen as like a good thing, um, in the workspace, it becomes harder for the outlier, which is usually me, who doesn't like it, who feels uncomfortable, to then speak out and say, I'm not okay with this. Yeah, so just like different things, different ways that culture plays in into this conversation is really important. Mm-hmm. And I can also uh, give a testimonial as someone who has gone through the workshop that Simon and Tulanana put together for um, workspaces. He actually came to our office, and I think they did a fantastic job in um, kind of making it culturally relevant in um, being at least getting people to start thinking about these conversations and like their actions and um, how they could change moving forward. Um, so I can I can give a golden star that this is like a really good service, and we'll plug it in the end as to like how you can contact them if you want this. Um, to happen in your workspace in Dar es Salaam or beyond if they have contacts in other countries in Africa. But yeah. Yes, but, but, guys, Mm -hmm. before we jump into, it's not that this isn't serious, but before (laughs) we jump into our current reality, let's talk about the elephant in the room when it comes to sexual harassment and consent and rape culture in general. Let us talk about R. Kelly. Child, have you watched <clears throat> Surviving R. Kelly, Arika? Nope. Oh, so I am the only person who went through those six-part documentary series, and I was just like, like I've, I've watched the individual videos. Ooh, how much content like on do you have media? to fill six episodes? Ooh, they have a lot. Clearly, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. It was like, and actually, the most interesting thing that I've I've seen online, at least with people who have been like oh, you know, that I get it now, is that R. Kelly has been a topic of discussion for a very long time, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, 
he married Aaliyah when she was 15. That was a topic of discussion in the 90s. And then early 2000s, there was this big rape case um, where he was caught on tape having sex and urinating on a 14-year-old girl. Uh, the family denied it, so he won because no one would admit that it was him, even though it was clearly it was him, and no one would admit that it was the girl. And so people have known about R. Kelly. There have been parodies. People are aware. But I think for some people, like, the details and kind of really showing how this is not just by chance, that there was a clear coloration between his music and actually how he used his music mm -hmm. to protect himself. Mm. Like how he would like pace his albums, the genres he would choose to sing about mm. to kind of help people. He used his genius, he used mm. his talent to facilitate this other side of himself that mm. is not that is problematic. Um, yeah. I think that was the thing that made a lot of people be like, wow. Yeah. And um, but like just going back, assuming that other people like that you, the listener, don't know much about R. Kelly or like what's going on with R. Kelly, because actually an interesting thing about Simon is that he's not really been following much about the R. Kelly story. And nope. doesn't really know about hashtag surviving R. Kelly, which is amazing to me. Um, uh, just to give you a bit of insight, R. Kelly is a very popular R&B singer um, in the U.S., uh, but he's a global superstar. I mean, he's sang hits like uh, I Believe I Can Fly and The Greatest and Bump and Grind. I mean, there's so there are countless of his own mm -hmm. individual songs, but he's also written for like literally everyone, especially in R&B. Like, so he is a national treasure. If anyone could realistically say like, who is the king of R&B music that's still living, like, mm -hmm. you'd have to say R. R. Kelly. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's just, it's non-debatable. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but he's also, in my words, a sexual predator, you know? And the issue with him is that he was abused um, in his own childhood by an older woman in his family, and his brothers were abused as well. But he also um, has had, like, predatorial habits from a young from an early age. So he's from Chicago and he's been preying on like young, mostly black and some Latina women who are considered underage and so illegal, um, as young as 12, wow. mm -hmm. all the way to 17, but also older women, um, as old as like 35, have been in his harem of women that he. Um, takes care of, but then also subjugates to things like you're not allowed to eat until I tell you to eat and punishments and having uh, sex with multiple people and all these diff gruesome details. You can just Google, Google it for yourself, figure it out on your own time. But I guess the reason that we wanted to use R. Kelly um, to have a conversation around, like, I mean, sexual harassment and consent is that because everyone is talking about it right now. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of opinions online and so we just kind of, yeah, we wanted to talk about, yeah, sex and consent and rape culture and all of that good stuff and what it is, and not good stuff, mm. bad stuff. Bad stuff, mainly. And, yeah, and also bring it home to, like, Africa and our own cultures. And, yeah, so let's talk about it. Yeah. What, well, okay, I, I think how I would like to open this, yeah. right? And, and, Simon, I'm curious to hear what you think. Um, 
granted, like there's there's different age groups of the women in his harem, as you've mentioned. But obviously, the issue, the focus is the underage girls, yeah. right? Um, and the underage bit, I think the focus in, in conversations is, is the legality of it, right? They're like not at the age of having the legal age of having sex. Okay, so there are so many parts of the world, right, where um, teenage pregnancies, underage pregnancies, um, marriages are taking place mm. and it's not considered illegal like okay let's not even yeah. go into detail like, <laughs> a lot of places <laughs> a lot of places <laughs> we live in yes and a lot yeah. of places i didn't want to jump into that yeah. particularly but when we discuss these stories when we discuss these girls mm -hmm. we discuss them in a different way in a different light then i think the conversation that has surrounded the girls in this documentary and shedding light on R. Kelly. Yeah. And I and I think the, the question that I want to ask to both of you and to our listeners, do you feel like the fact that he was, he is this like R&B god, a celebrity, sort of like masks the, the immorality of mm -hmm. this situation compared to all the everyday girls that are just, you know, married off to everyday older men you know because if you think yeah. about it um yes the particularly the the sexual encounters themselves are problematic mm. right but then there's other cases jay-z and beyonce mm -hmm. but we don't see it obviously as pro problematic i guess i can say that um and i don't want to talk too much i want simon to talk more but with regards to R. Kelly, I do feel like people understand the like moral issue here, like, and it has been a moral conversation for a very long time. And that's also why, actually, the fallout from R. Kelly, I kind of feel that he is like a catalyst in a lot of ways for calling out. A lot of other people have been called out because of this documentary, mm -hmm. or like certain cases have come out because of this documentary, including Jay-Z, and not only like, when he met Beyonce, but also the fact that he dated Aaliyah as well, you know, and he knew about the situation with R. Kelly. Um, but I think the reason that a lot of people are concentrating on the legality of it is that they want this guy in jail, mm -hmm. and having a moral claim is not going to lead to R. Kelly going to jail. Yeah. You know, because it's been a moral issue for so long, people have right. known, and like, yo, it can be... You can feel bad about it, but if you can't prove it legally, it's like, what can you do? And they want this guy to go to jail. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's why now the approach has been like, let's focus on like, what are the statues of limitations in some of these cases, like in certain states. So now like certain states like um, Georgia mm -hmm. are reopening cases because the statues of limitations are not over. I mean, and you can Google these terms if you don't know what I mean. Um, <laughs> and so at least that would be the angle that I take when it comes to the legal conversation, but I still think you would like open an important question as to the arbitrary, the arbitrariness or not of age and how it ties into our legal systems. Because yeah. like even in Germany, beyond even like Africa, the the I think the age for like consent for sex in Germany is fourteen. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, so like what does that mean? And then also like tying that into the bigger question of 
do we take it more seriously when it's a celebrity? Are we being hypocritical? Because I think there's R. Kelly's, R. Kelly's in our day-to-day lives, in our families, in our communities. So is it easier for us to point fingers at like a celebrity that's farther away? Like, How are we using this to look at the things that are happening in our own day-to-day lives? Are we calling those people out? Yeah. Um, I, but yeah. I feel yeah. like, um, and then again, like I guess I also like come back to you, Simon. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I feel like then it's the opposite. I think of the point I'm trying to make is that because he's a celebrity, we aren't actually seeing um, this moral side yeah. mm-hmm. the way we see it with yeah. normal people. Because at the back of people's head, it's still like, well, he's a celebrity. I'm sure these girls kind of wanted it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's my opinion, but yeah. I just know for a fact that there's a lot of people that have that thought in their head yeah. that's like, yeah. I mean, if, if like, as an example, whatever celebrity that, you know, yeah. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> for me particularly. Yeah, we're all worried. We're all like, our faves, please do not break my heart. I'm not saying that I'm like okay with something like that happening to me, but I'm just saying that if you idealize a celebrity, and we were all 15 at some point and had like posters of these celebrities that we like thought they were like, oh my god, my biggest crush, blah blah blah, like I'm gonna marry him. And so, to what extent does that affect how we perceive the immorality of this situation? Yeah. Is the question. Yeah. yeah. And actually, just the little that I know about this whole situation of R. Kelly, for me, in my mind, it brings up two things. And you you've touched, you two have touched up about it a little bit, you know? And one of it is just the gray lines that we put around the whole topic of sexual harassment, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So you say it stretches until this end, and, and there's no... There's just a, a thin line mm-hmm. that, okay, you've crossed the line. This is sexual harassment, and this is not. Mm-hmm. But then also the second thing that also comes to, to mind when I look at this is just one is the issue of, of the age. Mm-hmm. Different countries have different ages of consent, you know. And so that puts sort of like a safeguard net around protecting young people, protecting those who cannot express themselves. But also for me in my head brings out the topic of if I'm sexually harass, harassed right now and I don't know it, if I f- find out later on that I, I'm, I, was, I was harassed sexually, can I talk about it freely? Or will I be like, oh, you shouldn't have talked about it, yeah. you know? And which is, which just boils down to different cultures, different, um, like, perceptions of mm-hmm. people. Okay, yeah, this is a celebrity. You didn't talk yeah. then. You didn't talk now. And I think that's what um, this whole issue of um, the Arakel is, yes. is really boiling down to. You should have spoken there. You should have done this. And yeah. yeah. And yeah. another element, I think, like, context is very, very, very important. And yeah. in, the situa- um, in R. Kelly's situation, I think because, you know, like, race relations in, the, in America, we all are a bit aware of, like, the history of racism and, like, the black struggle and how specifically, like, both black men and women have been demonized and it's, like, way harder for them to, like, make it. And so there is this vested interest because the biggest consumers of R. Kelly and R&B music are still black people, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there was this kind of like, let me put it this way. I, I, list, I recently listened to a podcast where one of the hosts was talking about a situation where she was sexually harassed. Um, and the reason, and her guest was also talking about a situation where she was sexually harassed. They're both, both black women. Yeah. And one of them, the police came and she told them it was a white guy, but it was actually a black guy. Because she felt like 
getting the police involved. You know, there's already a distrust of authority. There's a distrust of the judicial system when it comes to, like, prosecuting black people. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like, I don't want to bring, quote-unquote, a black man down, you know? And the other host didn't report her situation because it was a black guy, and she was like, "Mm, you know, getting the police, how are they going to handle it? And I think with the, like, the consumers of R. Kelly's music, I think a lot of it has to do with the same dilemma of, like, he is a successful black man like a successful black artist right i think a lot of people are struggling with like canceling black men and their faves and especially black men who've made it like imagine if like god forbid <laughs> if like it was like barack oh you know like you'd just be like damn but the whole like, struggle first, would be down yeah, you know yeah you feel and because we are a quote-unquote minority or at least they are a minority so you have you look at your celebrities as the people who represent the culture. And so the ones that have made it are representative of you guys. And you're just like, I don't want to cancel it. I don't want to believe it. I'm going to defend him or I'm going to make it a legal issue versus a moral issue because you know, like black people have had to work hard and he made it. And so like, let's side on the, let's side on the side of like his black manhood versus what he's doing to women i love that you bring that up because it brings up a really important issue about culture in society because sometimes the majority they have to decide between what's good for everybody and what's good for the individual you know and sometimes for example victims of any kind of harassment or abuse they get thrown aside because it's already too late in the stage for them to be like, okay, now we're going to focus on you, girl. Yeah. You know, or, and so you find that, for example, like you talked about, if it was, for example, him, you know, yeah. it would be such a big blow to all the things we're talking about, you know? Yeah. So everybody would be like, you know what? No, 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 no. Just, just hash that thing down, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think the reason I, I don't know, I think the reason we're talking about this is some of these things, knowing them uh, in the beginning helps you just, if he was 15 year old and he had the same, because, some habits die hard. You can see from Marakeli, right? It's it's a long, yeah. long history of yeah. the same thing. So if he was stopped in the beginning, why would the conversation wouldn't have been as tough as it is right now? I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think to to add on to that, um, I, I I really like that you brought that up, Iman, and that what you added on. You know, with, with this whole like idealizing people that like rep- the chosen one as it were, right? Like he's the chosen one from mm. who's come from where we've all come from, but he made it, so he's the example that it can be done. In a way, I mean, what I find interesting about this documentary, because I actually didn't know that they touched on this until you were giving the summary right now, that they, they did talk a lot about his history yeah. of um, being abused. That's so interesting to me as a psychologist because that doesn't really say much about why he became an abuser. Yeah. But people use that to um, sort of uh, uh, paint him as well, like as a victim. But you must understand also that he's 
come from this environment. So what else can we expect? This was just his outlet yeah. or something like that. This was a way for him to just survive because yeah. this is his history. And I, I've seen that happen um, from, from my own experience, just uh, working with girls who have been abused. A lot of times it'll be that story where the guy was abused as well in his childhood or, or he watched his mother being abused. And honestly, statistically speaking, it's not what like yeah. society has painted it as if like if you have a history of abuse, you're more likely to become an abuser. At the end of the day, it's like taking responsibility from the fact that you are an abuser. Let's yeah. just yeah. say let's end it there. Yeah. That that's just extra information because you do come into your own at some point and you do have a choice mm -hmm. to rise above what your experiences were get help get fucking therapy i don't know <laughs> like you know what i mean deal with whatever was your history yeah. but i do think the fact that they they do um paint guys like this who are abusers is also to have that human element that they're also victims yeah. and so we can kind of slide it away a little like it's not like he's this evil demon yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and to the, like, just to give more insight on the documentary itself, they actually do touch on that because he was not the only one who was abused, right? He had brothers who were abused. And mm -hmm. one of his brothers actually talked about he's not, I mean, as far as we know, he, he's not a predator. He hasn't mm -hmm. sexually abused women. And he was talking about how he was young, and he told R. Kelly, and R. Kelly told him, like, that didn't happen to you, and other things, he's, other issues he's had with his brother. But... All the victims also talked about the fact that R. Kelly used, like very consciously used his narrative of I was abused. Because mm -hmm. it's like also like, it's a pathology because also all the girls that he picked, if he met you, Araika, at the mall and had a conversation with you, you would not have fit the bill. Mm. Mm. Like he picked women who had histories of also themselves being mm -hmm. like molested or sexually assaulted because then he could now tell his story and he used to tell his story as a way to like connect with them like it was a very calculating and premeditated mm -hmm. you know it wasn't just like mm, you know i like what i like like it was like i'm i see you i see your insecurities this is how i can relate to your insecurities and this is kind of how i rope you in yeah, you but, know? Then, but yeah. then that's exactly the But point. then I yeah. think the user, though, I think a lot of the audience, though, yeah. made that connection. And it's the common narrative of, like, you know, hurt people hurt people, right? Yeah. And a lot of the audience was like, oh, I'm so glad they talked about his history because he's just, he's hurt and he mm. needs therapy and he mm. needs, like, a, a hug, I don't know, <laughs> like, to be cured. Yeah. yeah. 50-something, I don't know. I yeah. mean, and, and I mean, look at, you know, his songs. It's like he's craving love and, and like the most romantic person. Cause yeah. That's all he sings about. So you're just like, mm, that's do what they, he needs. Do they, do they talk about the people around him during the whole journey? Yes. And what they did about yes. it? Or? Yes. And that actually, to be honest, I think you will leave watching that if you ever watch it, being more disgusted with the people around him. And maybe you can go into this more when we're talking about like consent and sexual harassment and how we can all play our parts yeah. um, in prevention and also in like allowing things to happen. Yeah. Because, yeah, now because it's like it's trending and it's cool to distance yourself from R. Kelly, his team quit. So a lot of his former team members were part of the documentary and they would say things like I saw like. For instance, in with during his marriage with Aaliyah, he had his manager fake her age 
to say that she was 18 so that they could have like the marriage certificate, right? Get married. And the manager was saying, I could see like she was like trying to like looking at me in a way like, guy, I don't want to do this, like yeah. help me. And I was like, what can I do? Like there are so there were so many adults around who knew who at some point and they could admit it themselves, like recognize what was going on. Yeah. But either because he was cutting their check or because they didn't feel like they had a voice or because they were just like, well, that's not my daughter. That's not my problem. Yeah. Just let it happen. Yeah. And that was the... Th including parents. Mm -hmm. Including parents who post, like, um, court cases and post, like, knowing. Like, the, when it became, like, popular culture that R. Kelly has a thing for underage girls. Yeah. Would leave their daughters with to him. Go. Because he told them that they were, he was going to help them in their musical careers. And they were like, oh, we were, like, worried. But what could we do? We wanted our daughter to be successful. Yeah. So there are all these adult who and and to be honest the only reason he continues because he continues to be able to thrive in that way till today is because he has people who help him yeah you know and i i think it really kind of shed the light of like we could all be allies to yeah. this shit in one way or another if, whether it's our like our brother our cousins our friends that we're like mm, that's his thing or mm, he's weird or, mm, what can i do or mm, yeah. that's not my child I think in this whole um, fiasco, sometimes when it comes up to light, most of the people you look at is the abused and the perpetrator, you know? Yeah. And then you forget, as a culture, what are you doing around it? And I think we'll go later on to discuss, you know, issues around what is concern, what is, mm -hmm. what is a no, what is sexual harassment. But it's, it's important to, yes, you're sick, you need to get yourself some therapy, you need to get this... But sometimes also the, the responsibility that you have as somebody who's seeing it, you know, mm. and that as, as usually in the, in the trainings that we do with the Global Shapers Hub is talk about this whole issue about upstanding, you know, mm. um, and it's upstanding because you have bystanders. Bystanders are people who just sit there and be like, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's happening, but somebody's going to come and solve that. Mm. Uh, the government is going to come and solve that mm -hmm. or the parent is going to come and solve. The police is going to come and arrest him someday, mm. you know. And the, the thing that that causes is that you have a prolonged... You're giving this person room to be more confident in doing what they do, mm -hmm. come up with new ways of actually running away and thinking about new ways to doing this. Mm -hmm. Yet, the upstanding that we're talking about is seeing some shit. Mm -hmm. You see some shit going down and call it out for, where it, for what it is, you know? Hey, dude, that is off the limit, you know? Mm -hmm. Or, hey... Um, Sister, are you having a problem? Is this guy giving you trouble? Mm -hmm. I see. Okay, if not, then I'm sorry. But, mm. you know, just yeah. upstanding is, yeah, that's something yeah. that I think would have helped um, mm -hmm. solve this. But I think as a culture, we need to be conscious of what yeah. we need to do when situations like this happen. You yeah. know, it's so interesting you guys have brought this up because there's, there's two theories that explain this perfectly. Mm -hmm why people don't take action mm -hmm. in this situation. And I like that you actually said the sentence that we could all be, you know, um, bystanders of the situation and not do anything. Yeah. Because in actual reality, there is a 90% chance that we have been and that we would, even after knowing the situation, we would still be that way yeah. because of two things. 
Number one, this whole theory on being an innocent bystander is not something that um, it's because, oh, like I'm a bad person or I don't care about this cause. It's mm -hmm. because of pluralistic ignorance. So we're all sitting here expecting the next person to do it, yeah. but then he's also expecting the next person to, <laughs> to do, do it, it, and then no one does it, and that also normalizes the situation yeah. and makes you feel better that you're not doing it because no one's doing it. Yeah. So um, there was this famous case that was this black lady who was stabbed in the 90s. You must have heard of it in New York City. Um, I don't know if it was Brooklyn somewhere, and she was stabbed at like 8 p.m., 7 p.m., 8 p.m., like um, eight times or something like that in a not even back alley, like a main street, like residential area. And all there, there were um, so many people watching as she was screaming because she was being robbed first. There were so many people watching and people calling the police. Well, very few people after the incident happened yeah. called the police. But after later taking statements and stuff, there was over 10 people who were seeing this yeah. from the safety of their windows. Yeah. Not, a, not a one person came down to help this woman. Yeah. And no one felt guilty about that because the next person should have done it. Yeah. That's just how our brains think. And also self-preservation is a fucker. Yeah. Like, bro. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? And in that moment, you're not really processing, like, oh, my God, this woman's dying. Like, I must help her. Yeah. This person has a She's knife. She's telling you, hey, guys. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> kill me, too. And I have my kids who are screaming. You know? But that, that's, like, a, what one thing that happens. Yeah. But another thing that happens, in a way, you explained it, where it's someone, okay, who cuts, like, this guy's check or things like that. I don't think it ends there. You know, humans, we have so many identities at once. Yeah. The way you know me, the way she knows me, the way my kids know me is so different. Yeah. And you'll see people fight and then be like, you know, who who your husband was to you is not who he who what is he's not the father he is to your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Those are two different identities. He's not the colleague at work. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you exactly. have these policemen who save people's lives and go home and beat their wives to a pulp. Yeah. yeah. Those are two different people and you if you talk to their colleague they will not believe you because that is not the person they know. Exactly. And most times I think people um, underestimate the power of the identity you attach yourself to. Yeah. Because in any given moment, a person is different depending on who they interact mm -hmm. with. Yep. And so these people who are around him, while it is disgusting, at the same time, they probably um, are seeing, yes, okay, this girl is young and there's something wrong here. But the R. Kelly that I know, yeah. who is maybe my friend or who's helped me in so many situations, mm -hmm. he's going to treat her well. Yeah. He's going to help her career. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not, gonna, it's not the worst situation to happen. It will be fine. Yeah. And so you let it happen. You can handle that. Yeah. And, you, you and your brain justifies immoral things so yeah. well. Like, yeah. it's like, you know it's wrong, but you can come up with a million reasons for why it's okay. It's Though funny. It's, you it's funny you brought up story because I think it's the second time I've had it. The first time it was me, I think Doreen, Kessie, and Tula Nana. We were in the training just talking about sexual harassment again. And... Mm the whole issue of bystanding. And I think for me personally in my head, what it brings out is just how bad it can get mm -hmm. if you just, mm -hmm. like the first person who saw the knife coming out or mm -hmm. the first person yeah. who had the scream, mm -hmm. just, like, just looking back and just walking first away. If you just, the first person gets up and says, hey, that's wrong, mm -hmm. the effect, yeah. the multi, 
it's called, I think, the multiplier effect of mm-hmm. causing other people to see that, yes. hey, okay, something is wrong here, mm-hmm. you know, is, is just great. But yeah. that's what it is. It requires one person. Like, yeah. if, if someone, um, this is another um, study that I think people would find really interesting that was actually controlled, and people were in an auditorium, and they, they let out, like, some fake smoke as if the room was going to burn down. Yeah. And then... Um, half the people in the room were um, actors, so they were already told what to do. And in one case, um, these people were told to just sit and act like they're not seeing anything. And I kid you not, everyone just sat there. It's like what the theory (laughs) of social compliance, right? It's like what the majority does or what an authority exactly. figure does is because I mean do. then you're crazy like if every everyone wants to survive if there's yeah. smoke and everyone's sitting like they're not seeing it yeah. then there's no smoke yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's literally that yeah. easy but it, the moment one person got up and screamed everybody gets up yeah. and screams because yo yeah. we're about to die exactly something <laughs> you know down. Yeah. yeah so I mean th- this stuff is really powerful in your mind and I think sometimes it's very easy to see things as black and white especially um, when we're looking at things um, that have already happened and yeah. we're trying to reflect on them, it's easier now to be like, why didn't people do this if it was me? And mm-hmm. that's always the yeah. thing, though. If it was you, yeah. what exactly would you have done yeah. in that moment? It's easy to think about it now and judge what other people Could have did, done. right? And yeah. why they didn't do what they did, but you're not them. And I think we've been discussing the empathy yeah. um, bit before with drinks and I, I, I think you like that's where it also comes in is being able to say, okay, I'm not this person, but I can understand and validate what they felt. Yeah. Even though in my understanding I would see the situation differently. Exactly. Okay, just to wrap up and move on from the conversation around R. Kelly or hashtag surviving R. Kelly, please, please just share your own feedback, your thoughts. Did you watch the documentary? How did it make you feel? Um, Yeah, what were the big questions? And yeah, what did you learn from it? And what do you think about all the different uh, things that we touched on right Mm -hmm. now? So we'll be coming back to you shortly with uh, more very interesting conversations and insights. So. 